0: Very good morning, everyone, and a warm welcome to Crescent Church on this Easter Sunday. Uh, We're so glad you've been able to join us today, especially if this is your first time. You're so welcome uh, as we celebrate what is a very special day. This morning marks the start of a three-week series on the most famous verse in the Bible. I'm sure many of you can quote it off by heart. It's John 3.16, and it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life this verse has transformed the lives of millions of people around the world and we'll be using this verse as the foundation for our next three sunday morning services as we seek to better understand the depths of god's great love for us we we're going to think more about his kindness to that's shown to people like us immense kindness in jesus christ and also how we can come to know jesus christ and experience eternal life in him. So today we're going to consider the first phrase of this beautiful verse, for God so loved the world, as we seek to celebrate the Easter story. And we're going to do it in four parts, it's going to be a little bit different this morning. We're going to do four parts, and one of those parts is going to be a kid's slot, specifically, and we're going to have songs and scripture readings uh, sort of interspersed throughout. So uh, hopefully it's a time that's a blessing to you. Let's now sing our opening hymn. Uh, It's called Man of Sorrows. And as we sing, let's lift our praise to God as we consider just how much it cost him to rescue us from sin and death. Let's sing together. Turn to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you on this Easter Sunday morning with hearts full of joy. And Father, we're joyful because the Lord Jesus Christ is alive. Father, we thank you for sending Christ to rescue us. Thank you for his willing, sacrificial death on that first Good Friday to pay our debt in full. He shed his precious blood to redeem us, to free us from sin. Thank you, Father, for showing us your great love in Christ. Father, we thank you for raising your son to life again on that first Easter Sunday. We thank you that he triumphed over the grave and is now seated at your right hand in the place of glory and honor. Lord, you've given us a sure and steadfast hope. And we know that for those who trust in the Lord Jesus, death is not the great dark enemy it once was. We can cry out, where, O grave, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Because the Lord Jesus has triumphed over sin, over Satan, death, and hell. And Father, by your grace, we're invited to share in that victory. And Lord, when we look at our world and the mess that it is in, we realize how much we need this gospel hope. How much we need your forgiveness, Father, and the power of your spirit to transform hearts and lives. This Easter Sunday, may you work powerfully through your word, by your spirit in our hearts. Convict us, encourage us, strengthen us, transform us into the men and women, boys and girls you created us to be. Father, I pray particularly for those who never have known the Lord Jesus personally, who've never experienced the joy of Easter for themselves. May this be the day that they know that joy, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Kennedy is now going to come and read some scripture for us.
1: This reading is from First John chapter four, verses 7 to 12. "Behold, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love." In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Behold, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us.
0: One uh, this morning is entitled Love Came Down. I wonder how far you would go to rescue someone you love. My uncle recently sailed across the Atlantic Ocean. I wonder if you'd go that far to rescue someone you loved. Would you climb the highest mountain? Would you travel 10,000 miles? I was reading a story this week of uh, an amazing event. Uh, Back in 1997, a two-year-old Chinese boy was kidnapped. And his father, he's pictured here on the screen, Gao Gangtang, began a relentless 24-year search for his son, during which he traveled over 300,000 miles by motorbike across China, searching day after day, hour after hour. He spent his entire life savings on the search, and he was forced to beg for money. He slept under bridges. He suffered broken bones, he encountered highway robbers, he used 10 different motorbikes across that period, all because the boy, the son that he loved, was lost. And over the the 24-year period, he helped many other families reunite with their missing loved ones, but there was still no sign of his son. And then in July 2021, something remarkable happened. And Gao, Gangteng's son, now 26, was located through a DNA match, and the family, you can see them in the picture, were finally reunited, and his father and mother wept tears of joy. And Gao's search was remarkable. I was blown away by the depths of his love and his dedication to finding his boy. Yet I thought, this is an echo of a greater love. The love we read about, that Connor read about in, in one John chapter four, the love that God has for you and for me. God's love for you is vast. One hymn writer tried to describe it with these words. He, he said, Could we with ink the ocean fill? And were the skies of parchment made, where every stalk on earth a quill, and every every one a scribe by trade to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole though stretched from sky to sky. God made you. He knit you together in your mother's womb. He knows you far better than you know yourself. In fact, the Bible tells us that even the very hairs of our head are numbered. God cares deeply for you. And the Bible tells us he desires To know you. Yet God's word makes clear a sad reality. It makes clear that we human beings have rebelled against this loving, benevolent, kind creator. We've spurned his love. We've embraced sin and selfishness. And we've been captured by the devil to do his will. The Bible tells us we suppress God's truth. We push it down, if you like. And instead we believe lies. And as such, the Bible tells us we're actually deserving of God's punishment for our rebellion, of God's justice, and we're trapped in the darkness of our sin. And there's nothing we can do to free ourselves. But how does God think of us in this sorry state? Well, God looks at us and he sees our hostility towards him. He sees the poisonous consequences of our sin. He sees the lies, he sees the lust, he sees the greed, the violence, the oppression, I mean, it doesn't take long browsing the news to see that day to day, but then I look at my own life, you look at your own lives, and maybe you see elements of that too, and God sees it, and yet remarkably, his heart still goes out to us. Think of the love of Gao Gang Tang for his son, and magnify that many times over, and maybe you get close to the love God has for you. And so our Trinitarian God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit plan a rescue mission, a rescue mission which would cover a much greater distance than Gao, Gang, Tang, and would come at a much greater cost. As John 4, 9 to 10 tells us, love compelled the Father to send the Son into the world that we might live through him. And so from the splendor and perfection of heaven, the Son of God goes on a journey on a rescue mission and stoops low. And he puts on the very flesh that he created. Isn't that extraordinary? He encases himself in the flesh that he himself created. He puts it on and he stoops down into the darkness of our world. Born of a virgin, laid in an animal's feeding trough, experienced all the trials and troubles of living in this messed up world, and he sought out his rebellious creation to win them back, to rescue them from death and judgment. Love compels him. Love compels him to come down, to search, that each person here this morning, no matter what position you find yourselves in, no matter how bad you think you are, no matter how far you think you've fallen, God searched for you that you might be found, that he might win you to himself. So let's sing again, this time a, a song especially for the kids. Um, it's called God Loves Me, and uh, then is going to come and read for us.
2: The reading is from the book of Luke, chapter 22, verses 47 to 71. That's Luke, chapter 22, um, verses 47 to 71. The betrayal and arrest of Jesus. While he was still speaking, there came a crowd, and the man called Judas, one of the 12, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus said, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and officers of the temple and elders who had come out against him, have you come out? as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. Peter denies Jesus. Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house, and Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them, Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, this man was also with him. But he denied it saying, woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted saying, certainly this man also was with him for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Jesus is mocked. Now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him as they beat him. They also blindfolded him and kept asking him, Prophecy, who is it that struck you? And they said many other things against him, blaspheming him. Jesus before the council. When day came, the assembly of the elders of the people gathered together, both chief priests and scribes. And they led him away to their council, and they said, If you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, If I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask you, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. So they all said, Are you the Son of God then? And he said to them, You say that I am. Then they said, What further testimony do we need? We have heard it ourselves from his own lips.
0: second talk is entitled, Love Rejected. Imagine Gao Tang and his wife, after 24 years of searching, had traveled to meet their long-lost son. And when they arrived, their son had ignored them entirely, or been rude to them, or pretended he didn't even know them. That would be utterly heartbreaking, wouldn't it, for his parents? It would be like losing him all over again, yet somehow I think that time it would be more painful still. And maybe there are some here this morning who have loved someone deeply, but have been really hurt. Maybe they've cut you off or cheated you or betrayed you. And the pain of something like that can make you feel sick to the stomach, can't it? It can leave you feeling wounded and bruised. Because unrequited love, it's the most painful of things. And in our scripture reading from Luke 22, we're we're showing how human beings responded to God's rescue mission that we spoke about earlier. How human beings responded to God's love in Christ. And I think it can be summed up in one word, rejection. Rejection. The Gospel writer John put it like this. He said, he, that's Jesus, was in the world And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. The king had arrived back in his country and his people had turned on him. In the passage that Morna read to us, I thought the behavior of Judas was particularly twisted because he initially appeared to welcome the Lord Jesus. He'd seemingly become a disciple, hadn't he? He got to see the Lord up close. He'd been able to observe his kind and compassionate heart, his gentleness with sinners, his patience with his own followers, his generosity towards the poor. And even though Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him, he still showed him kindness. Think of the upper room where he held out that bread of fellowship to him one last time. He still offered him a way back from the blackest darkness, even at that moment. And what about the Jewish leaders in the passage? Well, they have absolutely no basis for arresting Jesus, yet they come at night armed to the teeth with swords and clubs, and they arrest him. And while he's in custody, he's treated brutally. We read in verse 63, the guards mocked him and they beat him. They blindfolded him. They demanded, he prophesy. they repeatedly insulted him. It was vile, it was hateful behavior. And then the next morning, they parade him out in front of this show trial, a sham of a trial, and they question him, and they demand that he tell them whether or not he's the Messiah. And Jesus sees right through this act, this facade of a sham trial, and he tells them that he's not going to answer them either way. He makes clear to them that it won't be long before he's seated in heaven once again at the right hand of the majesty on high. And these leaders, they seem to have the illusion that they're in control, the illusion of power, but Jesus is the ultimate king, the king of kings. His behavior shows that he is in control, really. And one day, these these evil men will come to see the horrifying reality of their behavior. In Matthew's Gospel, we get a little bit more detail about how horrible this rejection was. We read the Roman soldiers continued the mockery. They stripped Christ. They put a scarlet robe on him. They rammed a crown of thorns down on his sacred head. They put a reed in his hand. And then they knelt down in front of him and they mockingly cried out, Hail, King of the Jews. And I wonder what must our Lord have been thinking through, this all, through all of this. We thought about the rescue mission, his great love for these people. And, and this is how he's treated when he shows up. How must he have felt? He'd come in love to rescue them, and it's thrown back in his face. In Matthew 23, we get an amazing insight into the Lord's inner life. We hear him lament. Matthew 23 and verse 37, he says this. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. I find these words extraordinary. Christ's longing, even in rejection, even in humiliation, was that his people might hear his voice, that they might turn and be saved. And through all this ill treatment, we see the dignity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah writes, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. As a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. The Lord doesn't even make a case for his defense, does he? He walks this lonely road towards the cross, motivated by love, both for his Father in heaven, but also for you and for me.
3: Our third reading is from uh, Luke 23, verse 32 to 43. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the Skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching
4: So this is the part, part three, that is specifically for the kids, although adults you can pay attention to. Um, I can see some there's some kids upstairs, there's some kids downstairs. But I have a question for you. How do you know that somebody loves you? Are there any kids here who can give me an answer? How do you know that somebody loves you? Ethan. They might give you a hug. Okay, yes, your mummy or your daddy might give you a big hug or a kiss to say that they love you. How else do you know that somebody loves you? Charlie, help me out here. Give you a present? Absolutely. Maybe your mummy or daddy buys you a gift. And that's, you know, they buy really nice things. You really want a, a new football or maybe it's a new toy. And they get you that because they love you. There are lots of different ways that People, parents, friends can show you that they love you. And at Easter, we we like to think about Jesus and what he did, um, his death and his resurrection. And ultimately, Jesus died because he loves us. It's very simple. But I want to ask a question, and you don't have to answer this one. It's a rhetorical question. Why did Jesus have to die? You see each of us have sinned we've done things that are wrong we've done things that are bad we disobey our parents we tell lies we maybe fight with our brothers or sisters and that's not what god wants us to do that's sin and the bible says in romans chapter 6 verse 23 that the wages of sin is death what on earth are wages Uh, basically the wages of sin or death means that the payment for sin the cost that has to be paid for sinning is that someone has to die and the thing is at Easter we remember the fact that God died for us so that we don't have to die that's what Jesus did on the cross but the people that were around Jesus the people that were near to Jesus whenever he was dying on the cross they didn't understand this And there are three different groups of people who say the same thing whenever Jesus was dying on the cross. They tell him to save himself. So the rulers, they were like the religious leaders, the Sanhedrin. They said, he saved others, let him save himself if he is the Christ. And the soldiers that hung him on the cross, they said, if you are the king of the Jews, if you really are Jesus, save yourself. And then the criminal, one of the criminals on the cross beside him, said, save yourself and us. They thought, this man is meant to be king. He's meant to be able to to do everything. He's, He's meant to be so powerful, but he can't save himself. But they didn't understand that Jesus needed to die. Jesus needed to die on the cross so that he could take away our sins. Because if he didn't die, then the price wouldn't have been paid. You see, Jesus didn't die on the cross because he wasn't able to save himself. Jesus died on the cross so that he could save everyone. That's how much Jesus loves us. That's how much Jesus loves you. And that's why Jesus died on the cross.
5: Reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 20. Now the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus's head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped and looked in the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. Unless I see his hand, the mark of the nails, and, the, and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put on your hand, and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name.
0: Thank you, Beth. The final talk this morning is entitled Love Has Triumphed. If the story ended with the cross and burial, we wouldn't be here this morning, would we? If Jesus is dead, we're wasting our time here at Crescent. We might as well just pack up And go home. The Bible is very honest about this. Refreshingly honest. Um, It says in, in 1 Corinthians 15. These words. Paul writes. And if Christ has not been raised. Our preaching is useless. And so is your faith. And then again in verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised. Your faith is futile. And you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep. In Christ are lost. And he goes on. If only for this life. We have hope in Christ. We are of all people most to be pitied. I love how transparent Paul is about these things. Do you see what he's saying? If Jesus isn't alive, we're in a hopeless state. We're pitiful people. This week, Jeremy Clarkson wrote an article in the Times newspaper on growing old and death. Maybe some of you saw that. And he said this. He said, I know I'm going to be in a hole where I shall rot. I shall be there forever, or at least until a property developer decides he needs the graveyard for a new housing estate, and then I'll be landfill. He went on, how much time do we have left, and what will will, will we be able to do with it? Those are the questions, and why do these imponderables prey so heavily on our minds? I guess it's because we struggle to cope with the hope. When we know the end is coming, that hope is replaced by despair, and somehow, that's always easier. I finished reading the article deeply saddened, feeling fairly depressed. It was just so devoid of any hope, so hollow, and yet it sadly articulates the views of so many people in our society today, that death is the end, the abyss, and that life is largely meaningless. And what made me sadder still was that this piece was published during Easter week, a week which celebrates the most most earth-shattering event in human history, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, the moment that everything changed. As the Apostle Paul continued in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 20, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Do you see how massive This is. Paul is saying that if you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, if you've trusted in him, you will follow the trail that he has blazed through death. Because Jesus Christ was raised, you too shall be raised. And I thought, if only Jeremy Clarkson could get a grip of that, could get a hold of that, if he could encounter the earth-shattering truth of the resurrection. You see, the resurrection isn't just a one-off freak event in human history. It's not just a blip in human history. It's actually the moment when reality itself flipped, when it was transformed to allow a new chapter of life to begin. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, defeated death. He paid the penalty for your sin and for my sin at the cross. So that death no longer has to have any claim on us, any hold on us. If you've been convicted of a crime, and you've paid the full sentence, then the state cannot punish you anymore. Your debt has been paid in full. And scripture tells us Christ has paid our debt in full. And he, remarkably, has made it possible for each and every human being to share in his victory. And the claim is, by trusting him, we can walk towards the dawn, if you like, towards the light of eternal day, we can have hope, In the darkest times, the darkest moments in life, when things seem hopeless, we can have hope. The resurrection is the hinge of history. It's the pivot on which eternity turns. It's the moment when evening turns to morning and when the shadows flee away. You see, we still live in a dark world, but we can walk through it with the risen Christ, the man on the other side of death. And so the resurrection, it's not just a blip. It's the moment everything changed, at the start of our service, I read the words of John 3:16: For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And this morning we've seen the reason Jesus came on that rescue mission was because God deeply loves us. He deeply loves you. We've seen how his love was rejected. We've seen how Christ's love caused him to, to give up his life on the cross, as Adam shared with us. And now we gaze at an empty tomb and we can see that God's love has triumphed. It wasn't suffocated by evil and darkness, it reigns supreme. As the songwriters Keith Getty in Short Town End put it, death is dead, love has won, Christ has conquered. I love that. And John 3.16 makes clear that the only way we can be saved, the only way we can be rescued from death is simply by believing It's so simple, it's so clear. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. It tells us that all a Christian is is someone who realizes they need to be rescued and trusts in Christ the rescuer. It's that simple. And if three days after he died, if he rose again, if that is true, and that's the claim this morning, if that is true, then he really is who he said he was. Our rescuer, the savior of the world. And he really has triumphed over sin and death. And now he invites you to come and enjoy his love for all eternity. Earlier I read that quote from Jeremy Clarkson about aging and death. Uh, this week in another newspaper in the New York Times, someone else was talking about facing death, but they had a very different conclusion to Jeremy Clarkson. It was Pastor Tim Keller, who I'm sure many of you know, uh, who's currently living with stage four pancreatic cancer. I want, to quote, I want to quote him as we close. He said this, if the resurrection of Jesus Christ really happened, then ultimately God is going to put everything right. Suffering is going to go away. Evil is going to go away. Death is going to go away. Aging is going to go away. Pancreatic cancer is going to go away. Now, if the resurrection of Jesus didn't happen, then I guess all bets are off but if it actually happened, then there is all the hope in the world," he went on. I do think that the great thing about cancer is that Easter does mean a whole lot more because I can look at Easter and I say, because of this, I can face anything. In the past, I thought of Easter as a kind of optimistic, upbeat way of thinking about life. And now I see that Easter is a universal solvent. It can eat through any fear, any anger, and despair. I see it as more powerful than ever before.
6: Thank you to uh, everyone who's been involved in uh, today's service. I just want to close in prayer. And then we're going to sing, See What a Morning Gloriously Bright, this fantastic anthem of praise to end our service. But let's just uh, close in prayer just now. Father, thank you uh, for this time that we've spent together. It's been good to be here. We have joined with uh, millions around this world uh, to remember that Christ is risen he is risen indeed. Father, we thank you for uh, the love that underpinned these events. Thank you that this love was precious, deep, and immense. Thank you that because of your love, Lord, you sent your Son, and because he died and rose again, we can know life, life eternal So Father, thank you for these many truths that we have considered uh, today. We have read about, we have sung about, and we have thought about. Lord, I pray that you'll put a seal in all the good things that we've heard today, and that Lord, we would live in the light uh, of Jesus's resurrection and the eternal life that we can now enjoy. Death is not the end. Lord, help us in the days that follow to be reminded of the hope that this gives us, uh, of the reality that it means in our lives, in the difficulties, in the struggles, and in the joys that we have, that Lord, your peace uh, is with us, that your presence is with us, and that the power of sin and death has been defeated. So thank you for everyone that's here this morning. Bless them, Lord. Bless their families. And Lord, I pray that you would accept our praise this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's uh, stand and sing this anthem of praise. See what a morning gloriously bright with the dawning of hope in Jerusalem. Thanks.